Welcome to the CEC Report. I'm Robert Barwick. I'm joined by CEC Leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. This is a special episode of the CEC Report, which we're calling The CEC Exposed, the Secretive British Cult of Neoliberalism. And today we're going to do a, a, a special presentation which has a historical flavour, which Craig will go, go through, and I'll help with questions, just to cover a subject that is actually very crucial um, in, in, even if you don't know it yet, to everybody in Australia and the world, in fact. Let me situate it by saying this. The whole world, you may have noticed, is in a period of great revolutionary change, including Australia. And it's a period of great dissatisfaction with the existing political structures and the existing political parties. And if you take the Australian predicates, we have the shutdown of Australia's 70-year-old car manufacturing industry, just gone, like that. Um, we've got soaring household debt. We've got a record housing bubble set to burst. We've got an acute energy crisis. We've got more people are now at least starting to question the policies, the, the broad economic policies that have prevailed over the last 40 years, but are now clearly failing. The, as a result of this, the political structures are crumbling. We've got the announcement of a royal commission into the banks, and that's just a, that's just a symptom of the people's dissatisfaction with the system. But what they are dissatisfied with is what we call neoliberalism or neoliberal economics, um, aka free trade economics. You've seen this in the recent Queensland election. Um, in calling for a Royal Commission, Malcolm Turnbull gave the game away, Craig, where he said that this Royal Commission will not be, quote, the inquisition into capitalism. <laughs> and that shows you these people, they know they're losing their control when they say that. That's the rub of the system. Now, because many viewers will not be familiar with this subject properly of neoliberal economic policy and where it came from, we've made it the subject of today's show. So there's two things we're going to cover. What is neoliberal economics and where did this neoliberal beast come from and who brought it here to Australia? So with that said, Craig, let's start. What is neoliberal economics? Well, Robbie, neoliberal economics is really a new name for an old liberal economics and this old liberal economics started in the 18th century and it was started by or developed around a guy by the name of William Petty Fitzmaurice, the second Earl of Shelburne. Now he was one of the most wealthy and you know, well-known, uh, most powerful men in Britain at the time. He was actually the uncrowned king of a company called the British East India Company for decades and he was part of, of what was called the Great Liberal Party. And he was also a very important guy because he was responsible for the founding of Australia at that particular time. But you go back to look at the history of the British East India Company. This was the company that was responsible for the opium trading with India and China and the slave trade. It right? was the company that expanded the empire. That's correct. Now, this is the policy. Uh, these policies are what has brought neoliberalism into Australia. This is the foundation, Robbie. So it's and why, when, it's why for the, we, we sometimes say imperial economics, we mean neoliberal economics, because that's what it was. That's what, exactly what it was. Now, look, he was supported a guy by the name of... You can have a look at some of the, economic, the economics of these people and who, these, uh, who Shelburne supported as his economic, ec economists, for example. Yeah. He supported one guy by the name of Pastor Thomas Malthus. Now, Malthus was not just some common reverend, some common parson, but he was the chief official economist of the British East India Company, the slave trading company. It was, and this, this British East India Company was the largest monopoly the world had ever seen in the 18th and 19th century, right? Um, 
he was in fact the very first professor of political economy in Britain and Malthus' students over the next several decades become the British East India Company's administrators and they systematically applied his policies of genocide. Well, why do I say policies of genocide? Well, Robbie, I'd like you to read the quote from Malthus to, to give the people a sense of the flavour of the policies of the British East India Company. So this is from Parson Thomas Malthus's 1798, an essay on the principle of population. Quote, All the children born beyond what would be required to keep up the population to this level must necessarily perish unless room be made for them by the deaths of grown persons. Therefore, we should facilitate, instead of foolishly and vainly endeavouring to impede, the operations of nature in producing this mortality. And if we dread the too frequent visitation of the horrid form of famine, we should sedulously encourage the other forms of destruction, which we compel nature to use. But above all, we should reprobate specific remedies for ravaging diseases, and those benevolent but much mistaken men who have thought they were doing a service to mankind by projecting schemes for the total extirpation of particular disorders. So this is a reverend, this is a pastor that's supposed to be teaching so-called Christian values. This is the core of the philosophy of the British East India Company. This justifies opium trading that destroys the souls of men and justifies slave trading. This is the core of liberal economics. And it's the economics of austerity today that we've seen exactly. practice across Exactly, and that's Europe. what you see. But see, it, it, you know, uh, Shelburne didn't just stop there. He had another acolyte by the name of Adam Smith, who a lot of people know about Adam Smith. Now, he wrote the textbook... The Wealth of Nations, which has been used by the British East India Company as a, an imperial welfare economics doctrine uh, of free trade right around the world and still is today, right? He also wrote another book called The, the, the Theory of Moral, Moral Sentiments, which actually denied the existence of the, uh, the idea of human creativity. He reduced mankind down to nothing Just more than a beast. beast. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to go through a lot of this material. I mean, we do have it in our publications, which people can write, write in and get copies of. But, in effect, this is the nature. I, mean, I can only give a, a flavour of the nature of the econ economics of people. A another person supported by Shelburne was Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy Bentham was the author of what's called the Philosophic Calculus. And this was the idea that everything can be derived a, through a, uh, an arithmetic calculation of pleasure and pain to determine all human actions. So you don't do something for a greater good, it's just it's just instant gratification or fear. Yeah, he, he said, look, nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain or, pe pain or pleasure. It is for them alone to point out what we ought to do as well as to determine what we shall do. Yeah. So that's where basically more than, nothing more than a beast. And let me ask you about the, the last guy, David Ricardo, because it's particularly relevant for the Australian economy, the way we operate at the moment. Yeah, but just before I do, Robbie, Bentham also wrote an essay on the defence of pederasty. Uh, yeah. you know, which means pedophilia. Which means pedophilia. So, you know, you talk about all these breakouts of pedophilia around the world. This is, so, this is also tied into this doctrine of free yeah. trade. Yeah. This is the same ilk. But on Ricardo, this is really, really important when you get angry about the fact that we've had a shutdown of our uh, car industry because this, this, this was peddled as this idea of the theory of comparative advantage. You know, Ricardo was a student of 
Jeremy Bentham, right? So all these guys are in the same bed together, literally. Well, possibly literally. I don't really know, but (laughs) the fact is that it's the idea of comparative advantage means that if you have an advantage in one area, you you export that advantage and you import things cheaply. Now, haven't we heard that before? So when you shut down the car industry, it's because we don't have an advantage there. So all we should do is export our wheat, export our coal and so forth. New Zealand can export dairy products, China export labour, whatever. And that idea is what has shut down our car yeah. industry. Now, yeah. d- despite the fact that we've got you know, hundreds of thousands of potentially linked jobs to a, a high technologically uh, advantageous um, industry, doesn't matter. We're better off to just ex- export uh, you know, wheat and coal. Yeah. That's a theory that's destroying our nation, and this is a theory that's come from this neoliberalism policy. Okay, let's take a break, Craig, and we'll go to the next part about where this came from after the break. Welcome back to this special episode of the CEC Report, where we're discussing how the CEC exposed the secretive British cult of neoliberalism. So, Craig, the next question is, you've described the old liberalism, right, which they've revived in this neoliberalism. Where did this neoliberal beast come from and who brought it here to Australia? Well, Robbie, we've been around for 30 years, but 20 years ago in 1996, the CEC went through a unique research project and we uncovered a real heinous plot against our country, uh, which we documented in the, in the 1996 edition of The New Citizen where we exposed an elite group of 500 people worldwide called the Mott Palloran Society. Now, and I think they had 12 Australian members. They had 12 Australian members at that time. Now, this group, 40 years ago, brought this policy into Australia through a series of think tanks. Yep. Now, what you're seeing today, in every respect, is the destruction of our country through these think tanks. So it's destruction through think tanks. And it even goes back to tracing the destruction of Gough Whitlam, Robbie. And I think the best uh, publication to see this in is what we published in 1998, which is even more thorough, you know, the Stop the British Crown Plots to uh, Crush Australia's Unions, where we go through all this material in much more and detail. And the reference to the British Crown there is because the British Crown specifically put up money to help start this. Yeah, Montpellier exactly, society. and I'll just mention that in a minute. But look, just after the war, the Montpellier Society was founded on the slopes of Montpellier in 1947. In Switzerland. In Switzerland, uh, by the Austrian-born... Uh, Friedrich von Hayek, who was a professor at the Fabian Found London School of Economics, right? 38 individuals gathered there with him on Montpellier to plan an assault against the nation state. And the reason that was, was because uh, you had an, an incredible uh, uh, burst of nation, you know, nation state strength when they defeated Mussolini and Hitler. Yep. And he complained bitterly that you know, the fascist economic policies of Mussolini and Hitler had been overthrown by this burst of, 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 of um, uh, you know, nationalism. And it had to be replaced by going back to these policies of, of um, uh, anti-nation state free trade policies. So what you saw, and this graphic, you can see on the graphic on the screen there, that you had a, a whole bunch of these oligarchs meet with him, you know, people like the Habsburg family, Max von Turner Tuxis, Ludwig von Mises, Milton Friedman, these, these are all fascists, Robbie. Hmm. They actually, you know, the Turner Tuxis family, old Venetian family, they actually funded through the Tula Society, funded Adolf Hitler to power. Someone, someone once said, Craig, the way to tell Milton Friedman is a fascist is to quote him. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> not just Milton Friedman, but look at von Hayek. Well, yeah. Von Hayek said, you know, he had an absolute hatred of 
the nation state. And he said, you know, we shall not rebuild civilization on a large scale. It is not an accident that on the whole there was more beauty and decency to be found in the life of small peoples and that among the large ones there was more happiness and content in proportion as they had avoided the deadly blight of centralization. And he supported the idea, ironically, of a world empire and international authority which effectively limits the powers of the nation of the individual will be one of the best safeguards of peace. And he, so then he wants small, weak political structures that businesses can dominate, but then he also wants a global government. That's right. And he says this... These principles have to be governed by the principles of British liberal economists of the British East India Company. And he goes on and quotes the need for Adam Smith, David Ricardo, Jeremy Bentham and others like John Stuart Mill. So this is the thrust of this uh, Montpelerin society that, the, that uh, von Hayek set, set up, right? So after about uh, 1947, uh, shortly after its founding, they moved to London, of course, as you would expect. And then they were joined, interestingly enough, by a very important guy who was the uh, City of London financier Harley Drayton. But he was also the personal financier of the private fortune of the Queen. Now, he comes into play in 1955, Robbie, where they needed to um, uh, really strengthen their outreach program. So uh, Drayton... Uh, finance fellow MPS, Montpellier Society members Anthony Fisher and Major uh, William Oliver to establish the first headquarters of a, a major think tank called the Institute for Economic Affairs, which was the mother of all uh, Montpellier think tanks worldwide. And you can see on the, you can see a picture of him on the screen now and the, uh, the Institute for, for International Affairs. And these guys, Craig, particularly hated Clement Attlee, the Labor Prime Minister who was copying our... Australian labour policies. Well, that's the you know, yeah, because after the war, you know, Britain was devastated. Robbie, you had absolutely tremendous, huge numbers of uh, uh, poor people. But more importantly, Attlee nationalised the, the Bank, Bank of, of England. England. And what was really interesting is that you know, in in the in the second reading of the Bank of England nationalisation bill on the twentieth October nineteen forty five, the Chancellor of the Exchequer Hugh Dalton cited Australia's successful successful government-owned Commonwealth Bank as a key precedent. Mm. That would have really got under their skin. So, But what did, what did, what did uh, Attlee achieve? Well, he achieved through uh, his program near full employment a 20% increase in farm output from 1947 to 1952, and he nationalised 20% of the economy. He nationalised civil aviation, coal mining, railways, canals, communications, electricity ga and gas utilities, and the steel industry, he, he constructed a million new homes between 1945 and 51. He established a comprehensive welfare system and the National Health Service, all of which today, Robbie, Jeremy Corbyn is calling for again. Yes. So this is very, very important that what you see, uh, what you see today is a sort of reflection of going back to the Attlee era. Now, of course, Anthony Fisher hated this. So he embarked on attacking quite viciously... Um, uh, all of Atlee's programs and so forth. So in order to do that, you know, they, they began to establish more and more of these, uh, these think tanks worldwide. Including in Australia, in which, we'll, which we'll talk about after the break. That's right. Welcome back to the CEC Report and our special episode on the CEC exposed the secretive British cult of neoliberalism. 
And Craig, before the break, you were describing how this Mont Pelerin Society was set up with funding from the Crown itself, mm -hmm. the British Crown, and it in turn spawned a host of think tanks around Australia to spread these neoliberal policies of privatisation, deregulation, uh, etc., which has been so destructive for our economy. Mm. So that, tell us now how this ended up coming to Australia. Well, the, the key guy here was uh, Anthony Fisher, uh, Robbie, who, the, who established the IEA uh, as the major mother of all think tanks. Institute of Economic Affairs. Institute of as, and we'll put up on the screen now another flowchart that we drew, drew back in 1996. Uh, in, in 1957, uh, Fisher handed the control of the IEA over to a guy by the name of Ralph Harris, who, ex who actually we, we are able to, through the New Citizen, get a, a copy of an interview with. This guy, Lord, who became Lord Harris of High Cross, uh, bragged about, in a sense, his role in making the policies of Thatcherism, yeah. right, which is what Jeremy Corbyn and the people of Britain are reacting against today. And then he basically said, and, I, and I'll read some of the quotes that he said, um, he, he basically said how important the Mont Pelerin Society was. He says the Mont Pelerin Society created the IEA, which came to become called the Thatcher's Think Tank. But we were running long before Thatcher. We weren't Thatcherites, but she was the, an IEAite. She picked up her thinking through some of her colleagues and her academic friends directly through the IEA's publications, which drew heavily on the Mont Pelerin Society's connections. And this is important. Think about British liberalism again. Yep. So the IEA comes along with Adam Smith and David Hume and David Ricardo, the great classical economists of the 18th century who invented political economy. We drew on all that stuff. We, we revived all those old principles and we clothed them with modern examples and analogies of the privatisation of the energy market, the transportation market and all the rest of it. This created Thatcherism as an idea. I mean, we went to Australia in, back in 1990. I was greeted everywhere as a, a missionary of this new Thatcher idea, free trade markets, laissez-faire and all that. I mean, Hayek, Friedman were perpetually being asked to go to Hong Kong, to go to Australia. They gave lectures there to go to little groups, people set up uh, you know, a similar outfit to my IEA, that's the Institute of Economic Affairs in London, and so on and so forth. And he goes through and it says how much excitement there was in the 90s. And then our interlocutor, the person that did the interview said, so we're moving back to the era before the nation state. And he enthusiastically replied, says, yes, that's absolutely right. So, you know, you had this spurning of all these uh, think tanks worldwide. Now, in 1996, there was 166 free trade uh, organisations. So Mont from Pelerin 19... Pelerin connected think tanks. Yeah, from 1990, uh, 1957 to 1996, it was 166. Well, through... Uh, Fisher's own, Anthony Fisher's own think tank, the Atlas Founda Foundation, there's uh, uh, now 480, 400, it's a 483 it's free, free trade, not-for-profit organisations. And we reported this, that fact recently in the alert service, Craig, just focusing on South America because they're all over the place there and they're toppling government after government after government to bring back this Thatcherite agenda. Yeah, that's right. And one of the key guys, Robbie, I think, is one of the 12 members down here in Australia. It was a guy by the name of Michael Porter. Yeah. Now, he was one of the key guys who established what's called the Tasman Institute in the 1990s. Now, he uh, was one of uh, Fisher's first recruits down here, and he explained to a journalist how Mont Pelerin came into Australia and specifically attacked Whitlam's grand plans to economic develop Australia. At the time, Porter was part of Whitlam's Centri Central Policy Review Committee, which was... As a, as a bureaucrat, not as, as a, a bureaucrat. part of the Whitlam government. Not, no, not yeah. as part of Whitlam as a, government. As a treasury. Yeah, he said of Whitlam and his ministers, and I quote, 
Notably, Rex Connor would bring in these huge plans for water projects, rail policy proposals, but he and the, C the CPRC, quote, just trashed them and went with ours, i.e. went put on top of things. We, evaluated all, of we evaluated all of them. We stripped them and we left them as empty bones. This crazy Connor plan of borrowing billions to buy back the farm, so what? We scrapped a lot. Whitlam put them in the cupboard and we just stripped them to, uh, stripped them to bare bones. We oversaw every policy proposal. So, Robert, we talk a lot about the Whitlam proposals to buy back the farm. You know, you had Rex Connor, for example, who wanted to uh, get better value for money in the export of our mm, raw materials, materials and, you know, value add to a lot of our export. Um, these guys were deployed to sabotage that. Directly. And this is also goes to the heart of what we say about Whitlam directly, that he was proposing to buy back the farm to take control of all this wealth, but you had this Montpellier front coming in like a tidal wave that was directly deployed to, uh, to, to get rid of this side of directionality. And it's no accident, Craig, that this is in the 70s, just as they're building up Thatcher in the UK, because this, this was a global takeover they orchestrated. Yeah, and look, one of the things, probably that we, um, we, we created a great controversy back in the 98 period was the fact that much of the Queen's own, uh, the, the, the raw materials in this country was owned by the Queen's own raw, raw materials company, Rio, Rio Tinto. Tinto. And we published this other flow chart, which you see up here on the screen, which shows the lavish corporate funding for the various entities that have pushed this privatisation, economic rationalism and neoliberalism proposals uh, into the uh, into this period that we are in now, right? Yep. And the interlinkedness of all these different groups was absolutely phenomenal because they had all this big money behind them. So if you have a look at this next graphic, you'll see the 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 number of you know corporate uh, in, interlinkedness between these different groupings. And with the, the the Institute of Public Affairs and the Tasman Institute, they they jointly wrote Jeff Kennett's blueprint for privatisation for here in Victoria which was incredibly destructive. Oh, that's right. It was focused around electricity privatisation, Robbie, in so-called to bring electricity private prices down. It's been directly the opposite because it was never designed for that. It was designed purely as a looting operation to steal people's resources. And yeah. uh, it's, that's, that's what it was. Now, look, the, this is the nature of what was being foisted on Australia. It's been done secretively because if you go and read the actual uh, words of these people like, Smedley and you would go back and Anton Fisher, people who set up the Montpellier Society in the first place, and the IEA, Institute for Economic Affairs in London. It was designed as a public relations operation to, to cover for these neoliberal policies. The result has been today, 30 to 40 years later, you know, the, uh, the, the Bureau of Infrastructure, Transport and Regional Economics within the Federal Department of Infrastructure and Regional Development has identified the fact that 197 economic infrastructure and transport privatisations and PPPs have been completed by Australia, uh, by Australian state and, and territory and some local governments since 1980. They don't put a figure on it because a lot of these things are... A dollar figure. dollar figure on it. But it's a huge handing over of our economic 197. It doesn't include services that are privatised or right. handed off from governments and so forth. This is the operation of neoliberalism, Robbie, and most people have no idea that this was a deliberate policy. It was done from the Crown top down. The last gasp of trying to defeat this was the Whitlam government. So everything we've had to date... Everything that Jeremy Corbyn is fighting against in the UK under Thatcherism, and what we're starting to see, you know, break down here, which Turnbull is struggling against, yep, yep. is the same policy. So, Craig, what do you recommend people read? 
Oh, they should get a copy of the British Crown plots of, you know, to crush Australian Union, Robbie. Uh, you know, the ones on the screen now, because that gives the thorough historical background to this. Yeah, this was a huge project we did at the time, and we've never regretted it because we've we've used it ever since in the last As you 20 see years. Right now. Thanks for tuning into this special episode of the CEC Report. Thanks very much for all that work, Craig. Thanks, Robbie. Tune in next week for more.